0: All right, confession time. As we approach our 200th episode of this podcast, it's still not unusual for me to think, do the listeners know how often I question my role as the host? Yeah, we're we're getting a lot of downloads now, but but surely at some point they're going to say, why am I listening to Brad? What makes him special? You get the idea. Maybe you feel similarly. In spite of having four college degrees, being CEO of a company for 15 years, and having reasonable success as an amateur endurance athlete, I can still feel like an imposter. Maybe you experience the same. It's a term we've come to know as imposter syndrome, and it's the topic of today's discussion with psychologist and executive coach Dr. Orbe Austin on this latest episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast. Now, as of the launch of this episode, there are exactly sixty days remaining until we launch into the new year for 2022. If you're looking ahead and you're thinking about pursuing your certification as a health and wellness coach, our first program in the new year takes place January 29th and 30th. It's one that always feels early. So please don't wait too long. And once you register, you'll have access to all the complimentary courses that are part of that certification process if you want to get started a little bit early. If you have questions about the program or how they fit into your career plans, reach out to us anytime. We'll set up a time to discuss it. Results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Or visit the website, catalystcoachinginstitute.com. Now it's time to tune into that voice inside our head that says, you don't belong here, and learn how to shut it down. With Dr. Richard Orbe-Austin on the latest episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast. Well, Dr. Orbe-Austin, it is such a privilege to have you here. We were chatting a little bit beforehand. This topic is so important right now. I deal with it. I guess you do since you got into this topic it, this is going to be fun. So thanks for joining us here.
1: My pleasure. I'm super excited to be with you today to talk about this topic. Well,
0: let's let's jump in. Let's get the cards on the table. We hear the phrase imposter syndrome seems like every day now. I was talking to my, my daughter-in-law this weekend about it. She works for a high-tech company, and they have trainings on a regular basis about this. They are the top performers in the world all working together, and yet they deal with it. And I know you'll get into that. But what? what is imposter syndrome? How does this whole thing work? Where did it come from? Just lay it out for us.
1: Okay, great. Well, I'm glad that we started with this question because there's a lot of misconceptions about what imposter syndrome is. It is not saying that you are an imposter. Someone says that you have it. It actually was a term coined about 40 some odd years ago by two psychologists, Clance and Imes, who were working with a high achieving group of women leaders at the time at a university in Georgia. And what they recognized, and these were graduate students as well as faculty members, staff members, what they saw was a consistent pattern where these individuals had very difficult time being able to internalize their accomplishments. They constantly Mm. talked about being afraid of being exposed as a fraud. And so they coined this term imposter syndrome to really talk about some of these Dynamics, and they actually they called it imposter phenomenon, and then in the popular culture became imposter syndrome. So, what it is, and then I will say very quickly what it is not as well. But what it is is when an individual, typically a high achieving individual, has difficulty internalizing his or her accomplishments, constantly feels like they're going to be exposed as a fraud, not competent enough, attributes their success to luck or key relationship. Uh, discounts praise of any sort uh, and at the end of the day never feels good enough so it wow. is not a mental health disorder but it is a phenomenon that needs to consistently be studied so when people say i have imposter syndrome it's not a mental health order but it is something that is real
0: so much in what you just said so first of all let's talk about the high performer piece because my my natural thought was i'm just insecure like i'm just I'm, I'm worried about this. And, and and so talk to talk us through that a little bit. What, what, Sure. how is that? Is it, is it more common among people that are self-driven? You know, let's get out there and get it done. Or it does it just exist in that group? It's not necessarily more common.
1: So it's a great question as well. So when we talk about imposter syndrome, what the research says is that about 70% of people will experience it at some point in their lives. And so that cuts across all different types of demographics. Even though it was initially studied with women, what we see is mixed results in terms of who experiences it more, men or women. But what the research does say is that they experience it and it shows up differently, say, uh, between a man and a woman, right? So for instance, for women, women tend to overwork and actually lean into the imposter syndrome and constantly are trying to, prove themselves uh, so they'll you'll see perfectionism you'll see overwork in that for men they tend to try to affiliate with lower performing peers lower status type of peers so that they then don't overwork but feel like they seek mastery more so than taking risks so that's how they deal with the imposter syndrome
0: and downsides I mean on on one hand I can see it being a driver for me personally, like, okay, I'm, I'm not good enough. I need to step it up one more notch. I need to give a little bit more effort here, here, here. Uh, is the negative the fact that at some point you can't keep doing that? Or or what are some of the negatives around? Because obviously there's some mm-hmm. positive. I, I, I wouldn't have gotten some of the opportunities I've got because that was in the back of my mind saying, oh, Brad, you're not good enough. You need to do more. You need to do more. And so I did. So there's the positive, but Talk Mm. us through the downsides, too.
1: Sure. So that point you make, I think, is one of the main reasons when people talk about imposter syndrome and they say, well, in a way, I needed to push myself. And some of what we try to do is to help people uncouple this notion of being ambitious and striving from imposter syndrome, that it's not the imposter syndrome that said, Brad, you need to, to move forward and you need to do better. It's your ambition. So you need the imposter syndrome to actually have that message sent to yourself, uh, even though you may have felt that way because it's this messaging of like, you're not good enough, so you need to keep moving forward. But in essence, you're saying, I want to do more and I'm striving. So the downsides, especially when we talk about mental well-being, is that there are higher levels of anxiety, depression associated with people with imposter syndrome. Uh, another downside just in terms of work related issues or that people with post syndrome end up being able uh, end up comp- being well compensated less well compensated because of the fact that mm. they are reluctant to negotiate sure. because they feel like I'm just lucky enough to have a job so over time they also don't tend to leave a particular role and they overstay and not seek something more advanced to their level because they feel like they're going to be exposed if they try to get a promotion or they go to another organization. So there are both mental health and, and physical well-being issues and concerns, but also career-related issues related to that as well. So understanding imposter syndrome is not actually beneficial to your success, but impacts your overall well-being. I think it's something important that I love to communicate when I you know, have some chats with folks like you, Brad. So help us separate
0: those cuz I've literally said to my wife almost like my fear of failure is why this hap- like this positive thing happened because of this. So how do you help that and and obviously from what you said I'm not alone. How do you help someone that's in that situation it sounds like most of the folks in your who who you're talking to how do you help them separate? How do you help them say I, I don't know. I'll just shut up. What, walk us through this. What, where do we go with this?
1: So when my wife and I wrote this book called "On Your Greatness, Overcome Imposter Syndrome, Beat Self-Doubt and Succeed in Life, the intention was to develop an actual model of how to overcome imposter syndrome. We saw a good deal of literature. This is something that's been studied for over 40 years. But what we found was missing is this notion of how do you actually defeat it? rather than just knowing how it shows up and how it impacts you, we really were interested in helping people to understand that this is something that can be conquered. It's not just about dealing with it, recognizing it, but saying it does not have to have as powerful of a role in my life as it does. So when we created this model that we call the three C's, it was to really touch upon the fact that part of imposter syndrome is some of the negative self-talk that we engage in, some of the false narratives that we have about our success and, and why we have achieved. So with that model, it's called the three Cs. It's clarify, create, choose, and create. The first step is to understand your origin story around imposter syndrome. Where did it come from? So we get this question a lot. Where, where did it come from? Did it come from work or a bad boss? Uh, and the myth is that toxic work cultures or oppression will cause imposter syndrome. The reality and what the literature says is it often comes from early childhood experiences, typically the roles that you have taken up in your family. So, for instance, if you were someone deemed to be the smart one, you then took that to mean that you needed to be perfect. Everything needed to come easily to you. and, And in that moment where you didn't do as well as you anticipated, maybe. In high school or in college where you got a B instead of getting an A, you start to then feel like, well, maybe I'm not the smart one. Maybe I was an imposter this whole time. Maybe, you know, my parents lied to me and I'm not that intelligent. And so that's for the smart one, how the imposter syndrome comes in. In contrast, if you were the one told in your family, well, you're not the smart one, you're actually the hardworking one, you're the more socially adept one you then get this message that the only way I can be successful is to overwork because I'm not smart enough. And so you always then spend time thinking, well, I have to demonstrate that I belong because I certainly don't believe that I'm intelligent enough to be here, but I will outwork everyone to be here. So, Once you understand that origin story piece, and then the third one that we saw in terms of a role is that of a survivor. So maybe you weren't the smart one or, or the socially adept or hard worker. Maybe you, unfortunately, had an experience where you were neglected and you ended up just being in a survivor mode. No one gave you feedback about your skills or your accomplishments. You were just trying to keep your head above water. And so you took that on. And as you live in the world, you're constantly trying to make sure that you can fit in because you're not really clear about what talents you have or gifts that you have. Once you understand the origin story, then you understand your triggers. So some of the triggers may be a new project, meeting new people, a new job where you feel like you have to prove yourself over and over again. So once these triggers are understood, then we go to the last part of the model and the last part of this stage of create, of um, clarify, which is being able to say, oftentimes people in post syndrome have what we call a thin narrative, which is they attribute their success to something like luck. Oh, the reason that I'm doing some of this is because I was lucky or someone liked me. And that is oftentimes not the case. Uh, and the reality is the narrative needs to be thickened. And in thickening that narrative, it's the reason I'm successful is because I have strong, interpersonal skills. I have good problem-solving abilities. I have the ability to connect with people in different ways. I've got good technical skills. Once you honor that narrative, then you're able to change the story you tell yourself, which oftentimes sustains imposter syndrome. So that part of the model, that clarified piece, allows you to set the table for the next phase, which is to choose a different route and choose a different story. And that means speaking to who you are, and speaking your truth. And that truth, on one hand, means that you you have imposter syndrome, and it's all right to say that. A lot of times people with imposter syndrome suffer in silence and don't necessarily have They feel ashamed because they're high achieving and they feel like people will ridicule them for saying that they have this when they're like, you've done so well in your life, what are you talking about? But being able to say that out loud and then you'll find other people have that same experience. But then also being able to own your accomplishments and your achievements and the reasons that you have been successful. Once you do that, then you're able to work towards that next phase, which is silencing what we call ants, these automatic negative thoughts. That might say, Brad, you're not good enough for labeling something you did as stupid or, or saying that I believe everyone doesn't think that I belong here. That's a mind reading type of an ant or catastrophizing ant which says, if I mess up this project, I'm going to be fired. Silencing those by replacing them with positive self-talk, saying, even if you make a mistake, it's all right because you know what you're doing and you'll do better next time. And then finally, the self-care piece in the choose area where you're able to say, I need to not overwork. I need to set better boundaries. I need to be able to show up in the ways that I know I'm capable of showing up so that I can be the best me possible. And so finally, then we end the model with the last phase, which is create where we say you're able to now take on different types of. Of roles, people with autism syndrome tend to take up the same type of roles. They tend to be the helper. They tend to be the knowledge hub. They never ask for help. They tend to be the super person. They do everything on their own. Trying on different roles where you are the help seeker, you are the person who is a collaborator instead of doing everything on your own, allows you to see that people won't think you're stupid if you ask for help. People won't think you are incompetent if you're seeking to collaborate with them uh, and in addition to that then finally we say that you want to be able to de- develop a dream team of support for yourself related to dealing with your imposter syndrome so it's a mentors it's uh, someone who's grounder, where you may have some particular challenge and they will give you a reality check to say it'll be all right an action planner helping you to think about what's next for yourself an imposter expert, that may be a coach, that may be a therapist, that may be a a friend who's familiar with the concept. Uh, And we wrap it all up by helping you to truly understand what are the optimal conditions for your success? What do I need to work on more? Is it my narrative? Is it silencing these ends? And putting together all those pieces, even though it may feel like or sound like a lot, is the road to overcoming imposter syndrome? It's really changing your thinking about who you are in the world, what you have to offer, and really internalizing some of those great skills and talents that you have.
0: So much there. I feel like I'm, I feel like you uh, you know me way too well, and we just met. Um, <laughs> I, I, we'll have a link to your book, but say the title again for us.
1: So the name of the book is "Own Your Greatness." Overcome imposter syndrome, beat self doubt and succeed in life. And it's a, and it's a workbook that is intended for you to do these activities to overcome it. So we didn't want it to be a, just a theoretical book about it. It was saying, here are the activities that you will do that will lead you to overcome your imposter syndrome. And you need to do all the activities. Some of them are are pretty challenging. Some (laughs) of them may be, you know, a bit emotionally intense. But it's important that you do all the activities to really get the benefits from the book. Okay,
0: awesome, awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely have a link to that. All right, let's take a rabbit trail here for a second. You you talked about luck and how the person with imposter syndrome tends to have this. Well, I was lucky. I got a break. I had I knew the right person. I was in the right place. I, you know, just things fell in. Into... It seems like I'm seeing a lot these days of people, someone like Tom Peters, for example, in Search of Excellence pointing to luck across the board and saying, you know what? If you're doing well in life, it's basically luck. So stop stop looking at yourself and going, you know, I worked hard or I, you know, did this or I did that or I put in the extra hours or whatever. He's he'll say, and I think he's exaggerating, but he'll say, you know, ninety-eight percent of why I am who I am is because of luck. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like the Tom Peters, the risks that you took, right. whatever. So how do you balance those two of of realizing yes I am fortunate. I am lucky. And yet that's not the dri- – like y- you see what I'm saying? This this conflict yeah, of – We're hearing all yeah. of society say, well, Dr. Orbe Austin, you're successful because you're lucky. And, and mm-hmm. you're saying, yeah, I am. So now that increases my imposter. It's this, it's this battle almost of we're right. hearing it here and yet we need to push it. A, I don't know. Can you run with that a little bit?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. So – I will say there's something to be said about luck. So I'm not going to dismiss it outright and say nothing can be attributed to luck. But what I'm suggesting is that we want you to be able to see your own agency in how you've gotten to where you have gotten. So if you attribute it solely to luck, then it leaves your agency out of it and feels like you have no control over mm. your destiny and, and what you're able to make impact of and affecting change in your life. So if I was unlucky and I have a toxic boss and I'm in a toxic uh, work culture, then, you know, oh, well, for me, like there's nothing I can do about right. that. Right. And what we're oh. suggesting is, yes, You know, we all have moments and opportunities where we do feel lucky, but ultimately it's what do we do with that luck, right? How do we actually then operationalize that luck, if you will? Like, how do we take advantage of it? What do we attribute then to ourselves and what do we attribute to luck? And if we're saying, yeah, 99% of it is luck and 1% is me, That that is too far of an imbalance. Mm. We want you to really be able to acknowledge your efforts, your abilities, your skills. And that's part of the challenge for people with imposter syndrome. They minimize all of that and really emphasize solely luck. And so you have groups of people who do the opposite, right? Like people who may be narcissists who then say, well, no, it clearly was all me, right? Like I have superpowers to be able to conquer the world. And so I need to get all the credit. Luck or nothing else has anything to do with it. Or as you said, you know, with Tom Peters, you, there are those who say, well, you have no agency. It's all about luck. And you just have to cross your fingers and hope that you get better luck.
0: <laughs> all right. That helps. One other quick rabbit trail. The, the, the clarifying piece and the role of parenting and early childhood and all that—it's too late for our kids. They're 26, 24, and 22. So, they're – sorry, guys. But for the parent who's listening to this and they've got a, a four-year-old at home, they got a 12-year-old at home, what, what can be done there by a parent to help set this up appropriately? And then maybe, yeah, some tips for us that are – adult, you know, parents of adults, anything we can do to make up for all the mistakes (laughs) I made was they were growing up.
1: (laughs) So I will say it's never too late. (laughs) And it's really this notion of being able to feel like your children can have different roles in the family that oftentimes it's just natural for all of us to feel comfortable that this person plays this role, this person plays that role. And it allows us to just understand how things should work or might work. But by doing that, it keeps them limited in thinking about themselves in the world. So whether it's a four-year-old or whether it's a 26-year-old, making sure that they understand that they don't have to have just one role Mm. in the family, that they can be the smart one and they can be the hardworking one, that they have a sense of agency in being able to impact their world right? Because if you say to your child, no matter what age, oh, you're really, really bright, but then they feel like, okay, if I don't do well and I mess up, then am I really? Or you say to the one who's hardworking, you're hardworking. And by the way, you were very bright, right? Like it's this balancing act of helping them to understand that it's not solely about natural ability. It's also about putting in effort. So communicating that, making sure that they don't feel limited in their roles, making sure that they don't feel that the only reason they should do anything is to, at the end of the day, please you, make you happy, mm. make you, you know, the center of everything, right? Because oftentimes for people with imposter syndrome, some of the other family dynamics are these codependent type dynamics. Mm. Or it's a narcissistic caregiver, all these other things that pull on, oh, I just want to please this person. So when we see it in the work culture, then it's working for a toxic boss and feeling like, okay, I just need to please that boss and they will take care of me. And that may not be the case. It's like, I'm not good enough to go anywhere else. I just need this toxic boss to take care of me. It's helping them to understand their agency and helping them understand they don't have one limited role in the family uh, and that you will really support them as they go through their journey without it just being about your needs or interests.
0: Again, I love it. Um, you, you You talk about a phrase called the imposter cycle. Can you mm-hmm. walk us through what's involved with that, and maybe that'll help people see oh i'm 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 there in that cycle
1: right and so there are two types of imposter cycles that we talk about there's imposter cycle one where you worry about your performance uh, and then you tend to overwork as a result of that uh, and you then get some level of performance review. And in that performance review, you get positive feedback. And so typically when that happens, if you're not battling imposter syndrome, you would then reduce your worry about performance. But rather than feeling like, oh, I got a good review, you okay. go right then back and cycle through into worrying again about the next performance. Right. So that's imposter cycle one. Okay. And the next imposter cycle two is you again worry about your performance, but instead of overworking you procrastinate or self-sabotage as, as a result of it. And so you're concerned because you feel like, well, I don't really want to get to this because I feel like it will expose me as a fraud if I actually do this project. So you delay, you delay, you procrastinate, you self-sabotage. So then you get a performance review. And as you can imagine, if you procrastinate or you self-sabotage, that review may be mixed. It may not be all positive. Some of it may be positive. Some of it may say, well, here's what you can do differently. So that then again sends you back into worrying about performance. And so you keep cycling through it, worrying about performance and, and either overworking or self-sabotaging and procrastinating uh, round and around and around.
0: I'm loving this, man. I'm so happy this interview came to be, I, I, I kind of found you randomly and then we got it set up and you, you were super nice about getting this scheduled and, There's so much meat here. All right. In your TED Talk, you and your partner, Lisa, emphasize a very powerful phrase. When you work as hard for yourself as you do for others, you are unstoppable. Now, the connection Mm -hmm. for someone like you or Lisa that's running your own business, that's obvious to us or or maybe somebody like me or some of our coaches out there. But does the phrase apply to anyone regardless of whether they want to be an entrepreneur or not?
1: Yes, definitely. And this, I think, is an incredibly important question in that when I said that it was more about how you expend your energy and that whether you work for yourself or whether you work for someone else, you can find if you're working for someone else that you will spend much more of your energy trying to meet that person's needs, be it your boss or be it the organization as a whole, than meeting your own needs. And so what does that look like if you're working for someone else? That means that you overwork rather than delegating feel like, okay, I need to take up everything Mm. on my own for them rather than saying, well, what do I need for myself? So oftentimes this comes up when someone is in a difficult position, say in a toxic work environment and they want to leave and they want to be able to find a new job and I'll work with them and, and coach them through And what I find and what I will say to them is you need to put in as much effort in this job search for yourself as you're putting in your efforts for this current role Mm. in which you're not happy. Right. Right. Uh, And if you're not able to do that, then then that's a concern because this job is draining you. It's taking all away from you. And then you don't have the ability to actually do the things you need to do to leave it to get that next role. So if you're overworking 60, 70 hours, of course you're gonna be exhausted by the time you end work to then do the job search activities needed to transition. So that is, in that context, when I talk about working as hard for yourself as you do for others, you will be unstoppable because it allows you to really center your experience on your needs, your interests, your values, uh, and not selling yourself short to meet the needs of someone else.
0: It's so memorable. I, people, if they're going to remember that from this interview, they're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember when he said that. Um, all right, so what kind of coach, we, we talk about parents, but what kind of coach, a friend, a coworker do to help somebody who is in that cycle? And it would it be the same type of advice as you gave parents of don't put people in a you know, a little thing that they have to stay with or are there other things that we can be doing again as a, as a coach, as a parent, as a leader, uh, and a teacher, et cetera?
1: Sure. So, it's really helping them to understand the story that they're telling themselves, their narrative that may not be accurate. And so, it's helping them to re their narrative first and foremost to say, well, how do I see myself in the world? Am I saying, well, I'm not good enough. Like I don't even deserve the current role I have, let alone Mm -hmm. something that I want that is more advanced. Uh, I don't believe that I have skills. So it's helping them to really own their skills and their talents. It's helping them to silence some of these ants that we talk about that tell them everyone thinks you're not good enough and or things are going to be disastrous if you get a new job. So it's helping them to really voice some of the anxieties that keep them diminished or afraid to do something for themselves. So it's acknowledging the imposter syndrome and helping them know and understand, to your point, that it's not the imposter syndrome that made them successful or accomplished. It's really their own drive and ambition. So it's really being able to separate those two and saying that you don't need this imposter syndrome to move forward and and to be successful. That in fact, it's diminishing your overall well-being and you will be, you'll continue to be ambitious and, oh, by the way, maybe you'll be less anxious uh, and less concerned about being exposed as a fraud if you actually give it up.
0: Just had a question come to mind. It may be way off base. So, you can just say, Brad, that's not a thing. But is there are there times when you need or when it be helpful to have a little more imposter syndrome than maybe you have if you're as some sort of a a trigger to get going? So you're in that uh, IC two where you're procrastinating, you're self sabotaging. Is is there anything in there that you can? I don't know. Is there any way you can use this as a positive spark and then and then let it go, step away from it. Is there anything on that path?
1: So when you talk about it in that vein, I think it then puts the imposter syndrome at the center of positive forward movement. Right. And what we're trying to do is to say, all right, if you're in IC2, uh, part of what's diminishing you and and causing you to procrastinate or self-sabotage is, in fact, this belief that you are going to be exposed as a fraud. So, in fact, what you want to rather say than hold on to the imposter syndrome or the perfectionism is to say, I know that I can deliver a quality project, a quality assignment, a quality presentation. It doesn't need to be perfect, but I'm confident in my ability to deliver and I'm going to lean into it instead of procrastinating or trying to self-sabotage because that's the imposter syndrome talking. Got it. Right. Like we want to lower the volume on the imposter syndrome because when we're using it as Brad, you're not good enough, you're, you're not going to deliver. Uh, and that's the push. Then if you do well, then you're going to say, oh, see, I did need it. Right. And so you then begin to lean on it again and say, well, the next time I get stuck, I'm going to need it again to have that negative self-talk of you're not good enough. You have to prove yourself again. And it's not suggesting that if you give up impossible, because this is what people will say, if I give it up, I'm going to be lazy. I'm going to be lax. I'm not going to be ambitious. Right. But it's really (laughs) being able to honor the fact that it is you and your natural ambition that is going to move you forward. You are not going to just sit on the couch eating bonbons <laughs> if you don't have imposter syndrome, right? That you are still going to be able to acknowledge the fact that you want more in your life. You're seeking more for yourself, for your family, for all the different goals and, and dreams that you have. And it wasn't the imposter syndrome that allowed you to seek that.
0: Mm. So good. Yeah. Um, all right, a couple more. Uh, a lot of your focus centers on toxic workplaces, uh, which you've talked about can be a driver, it's not necessarily the driver of imposter syndrome. Let's run down that path a little bit. What are some of the elements of a toxic workplace that might surprise our listeners? So, some of the things are obvious. You know, your do- your boss is a jerk. He or she's yelling at you all the time. You know, un- unreasonable expectations. But are su- there's some things that might surprise the listeners where they think, "Oh, I did ever." I never thought of that as a toxic workplace issue.
1: Sure. And so one of the ones that I think about immediately is this notion of not giving any type of performance feedback. So if Mm. you're working in an environment where no one tells you how you're doing, then if you have imposter syndrome, your assumption is you're not doing well and you keep you need to keep overworking. you need to be perfect in order to keep your job. And so when you have managers who feel like, well, I don't want people to know how they're doing because if I tell them they're doing well, then they may slack off, then I'm not going to give them any type of of performance review or performance feedback so that they can feel a little off kilter and and constantly feeling that they need to prove themselves. So that's first and foremost. I think this notion of stars and scapegoats that I talk a great deal about Mm. where one moment you could be the star. You had a great project and and you feel like, all right, I'm in that shining light. But then the next minute you can be the scapegoat if something doesn't go well. And so even when you're a star, you're not comfortable because you feel like the next day I can be a scapegoat. Mm. So that also is triggering for people with imposter syndrome because they feel like I am never safe. I'm never settled in my ability to feel like here are some of the skills that are valuable that will consistently be applied to add value. And being in this cycle of stars and scapegoats really impacts someone's imposter syndrome.
0: That's great. That's great. Yeah, I don't think people would think about either one of those. That's, that's perfect. Um, all right, my friend, wide open, final words of wisdom. Where do you want to leave us with? Maybe I haven't asked a question that you're like, oh, Brad, there's this one key thing. You didn't even ask me about it. What, what do you want to leave us with? What are some of the key things that? Maybe we didn't address that the listeners might think, oh, yeah, I'm glad I stuck around to the end.
1: Yeah, I think that part of it is reemphasizing some of what we talked about in terms of the myths related to imposter syndrome. So this notion that only women have it, that's a myth, this notion that it's caused by oppression or or toxic work cultures, toxic work cultures, oppression, sustain imposter syndrome. Mm. It does not you know, they do not cause it. I think it's important to recognize that one of the key pieces we talked about is this notion that it's good to have imposter syndrome. I think that's a myth of really being able to debunk that and to say that at the end of the day, it's not the imposter syndrome that makes you successful or, or makes you ambitious or motivated. It's your own natural motivation and ambition. And that, in fact, giving up the imposter syndrome can have it be less stressful in terms of your journey towards success.
0: This is awesome. Thank you for doing this.
1: It is my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: As I mentioned, we'll have a link to Dr. Orbe Austin's TED Talk, his organization's website, and his book for those of you who'd like to tap into additional resources. That was so good. I I knew the topic would be valuable for all of us, but he really brought it. Thanks to you for tuning to the number one podcast for health and wellness coaching. We're here. If you have any questions about health and wellness coaching, either on a personal or organizational level, bring it to your company. Please drop us a line anytime results at catalyst coaching institute.com, or there are plenty of additional resources, both on the website at catalyst coaching institute.com, as well as over at the YouTube coaching channel, which is youtube.com slash coaching channel. Next week's episode. It's so good. It's an interview with neurologist and sleep specialist, Dr. Chris Winter. It took us almost two years to get this one scheduled. And I'll tell you what, it was well worth the wait. Now it's time to be a catalyst on this journey of life, the chance to make a positive difference in the world while simultaneously improving our own lives, the essence of being a catalyst. This is Dr. Bradford Cooper of the Catalyst Coaching Institute. Make it a great rest of your week. And I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health, Wellness, and Performance Coaching Podcast, or maybe over on the YouTube coaching channel.